Thanks for joining us on the King Law Podcast, where we give you a lawyer's perspective on anything legal or not. From criminal law, personal injury, and trending legal topics, we're your back pocket legal guide. How do drug dealers get caught? <laughs> Let's go right into that one. Oh. <laughs> How do drug dealers get caught? Well, number one is probably selling the undercover cops. Okay. Wrong. Oh. What is it? Try again. How else the drug? Um, Traffic well, are stop you talking where they about, get pulled over. Wrong. That's wrong, too. Well, they probably would have already been suspected by the time you get a search warrant. Right? Yeah. So that's not what you're looking for. No. No, that's not it. Tapping cell phones. No, that's not right. That's rare. That's rare. That's a very lot rare. of work. A lot of work. And they know about the phones. Yeah, they the get burner a new, phones. They get a right. new phone every week. They can't keep up with the burner phones. No. So how do drug dealers get caught? I'm I'm trying to think, too. Like, what would be the something obvious? Like, I mean, so doing it in an open public place? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of surveillance. FBI, DEA, yeah. police departments. Tons of different tactics, wiretaps, pole cameras, mm-hmm. all of these things. They're all wrong. Think. You got to so, think. I don't, I'm not a drug dealer, so I don't know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, so free legal advice don't sell drugs, it's illegal. Yeah. Uh, th- let's predicate that the way. Leave that to the pharmaceutical uh, reps. You write that down for me. So, yes. so, this is a blog I actually wrote in 2013, 10 years ago, and it's been okay. ranked number one or two on Google for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, did a lot of really serious cocaine conspiracy cases um, in the beginning of my career. And, mm-hmm. and we still do some of that, but not as much as I did for a while. The way almost every serious drug dealer gets caught, the real kilo buyers and sellers, mm-hmm. is a person from within their organization. Mm-hmm. It's, so a snitch. It's a snitch. And it's, <laughs> um, it's sometimes they say work up the chain. It's a person with drugs gets caught. They say, you can go to jail or you can tell us what happened. Gotcha. And people don't want to go to jail. And they sing like a canary. And, and uh, that's how, that's how and, and it's interesting, different organizations, sometimes they're called DTOs, drug trafficking organizations, mm-hmm. have different cultures. But uh, people think that really serious drug dealers don't talk. Well, every serious case I've been involved in, the reason was what they would call a CI, confidential informant. Mm-hmm. And it's the way real drug dealers get caught is confidential informants. Dang. Um, Good and, to know. And the, the so trust no one. Right. <laughs> and uh, kind of like phase two of the conversation, though, is mm-hmm. um, the really good prosecutors, the ones that are um, skilled, you think courtroom, aggressive, they have the ability to talk to a person who's accused of committing a really serious crime and say, well, the prosecutors don't know. They don't live that life. So they have to get their information from someone who's been arrested, who's committed crimes, and to be able to have these meetings. They're called proffers. And they're mm-hmm. like, look, we, we'll work a deal with you, but you got to do something for us. Mm-hmm. The ability for that prosecutor, that lawyer, that police officer, who two days ago I was trying to catch you and lock you up, and now you're here, and we're going to talk person to person about how things get better for you okay. in a human level. And um, it's always really interesting. And typically, I'm, I would be sitting next to the drug dealer, mm-hmm. the guy who got caught, 
or we're watching, um, we're looking at police reports of, hey, my friend, brother, spouse, mm-hmm. the, the people who know what you're doing, they're, they're the people who are close to you. And those are the reason you're arrested is because the CI got to, yeah, yeah. Um, told them about you. Mm, that's interesting. So do you have any follow-up comments or? No, I think that. Um, Before I segue into something. And it's, so I have a, a fair bit of experience defending mm-hmm. the serious drug cases, mm-hmm. but Mike had a lot of experience doing violent felonies. And, right. And um, as a prosecutor, I mean, you've sat in those proffer meetings. and Many, pro- many proffers. What, uh, so just explain kind of like, what's a proffer? So you are talking to someone who's typically charged with a crime at that point, and you're going to sit down with them a lot of times in jail with their lawyer, and you're going to see what they know. And it's not an interrogation necessarily. You're not eliciting information to use against them. You're trying to learn what they know and how they could help you. Okay. And then you take that information and you think about, you know, what can that information do for you in your case? And what benefit can you give them in return for it? And then you work out a deal. Yeah, and this goes back to where defense lawyers and prosecutors, what type of mutual respect they have for each Mm -hmm. other, what type of trust they have for each other. Um, You don't have to be friends. You don't have to like each other. But you're walking in as a defense lawyer. You're walking into this meeting with no promises. You have a guy who paid you a lot of money. You have his life in your hands. And you say, we're going to go tell this guy some really serious stuff that doesn't make us look good. Mm-hmm. That the reason you have information that, that the prosecutor or the government wants to know is you've you've done, know, or been around something that's probably illegal. <laughs> and you got to tell this guy, and he's going to say, well, let me see what you know, and maybe this might help you, but I'm making you no promises. There's, there's like... Mm-hmm. And I might tell you to go screw yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you might sit there and listen to say thanks, them. but no thanks. Appreciate right. it. No deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. And, and that's where the prosecutor's reputation and the defense attorney's reputation. This meeting you is both about, have to trust each other on some level. That yeah, you're yeah. not going to screw each other over. And the way you act today mm-hmm. affects what's going to happen two years from now. Mm-hmm. If Mike's a prosecutor, I'm the defense attorney. I say, I tell my client, look, I met with him about a case two years ago, and I know he's going to do things the right way. Mm -hmm. And we had an outcome or whatever it might be. So what's realistic jail time for someone who is a drug dealer that has people working under him and, like, it's a whole production, like, that's... I don't know. Can you even? On, I'm uh, kind of just like throwing this out. Right, now I think you get drug court, it. right? It's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weed's now legal. Now you get a slap on the wrist. Yeah, weed, weed is legal. Um, I mean, that's so not a whole other ball game, but well, yeah. like well, the yeah. hard It's so stuff. fact specific and it's so dependent on their history. And a lot of times um, those organizations are tied up in other crimes. Mm-hmm. So the reason that you're looking at them is because they're out, you know, shooting other you know, rivals. Um, so a lot know, of drug and, and cases might... probably have gun charges associated. Oh, yeah. yeah, murders, drug yeah. dealer on drug, murder, robbery. Mm-hmm. So I would probably the biggest case I ever did was a Colin Montague conspiracy, and we had we had a guy in that. And the thing with these are Jamaican guys, and they're 
Jamaican guys are known to be rough in this. Colin Montague, of all things, he was not a violent person. The whole organization was not violent. They didn't even have any guns. They got robbed. They, <laughs> they, he knew, I think he knew, the way he was going to really get in trouble mm-hmm. or get investigated was from the violence. Right. So they're doing kilo upon kilo of cocaine every month. No well, they're ever, going under the radar. No one ever no got violence. hurt. They they didn't get caught. They were running this for eight or ten years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, other, when you talk about somebody flipping, when you talk about someone doing an undercover buy, you're talking about typically people who have the attention of authorities, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times that attention comes from them being involved with other crimes. Gotcha. Yeah, because if you like in that case that you were just talking about. The whole idea is almost, listen, I don't condone drug dealing, but it's almost (laughs) like a business. Like, they're not in it to, like, for show. Like, look at me. I have power over you. It's more like, okay, we're making money. This is what we got to do. And it's not about all the other showy factors behind it. It's possible. Maybe. But talking about weed, though, and marijuana, people, so now that it's legal up to a certain like point what about people who have been charged in the past can they like can they do appeals what can they do or have you seen this happen yeah we we have uh i did one of the biggest marijuana cases ever uh ever ever around here okay uh, i mean i did a couple big really i mean hundreds of pounds per week mm-hmm um, I did two different ones. One where they were importing, exporting through Canada. The grow operation was in Montreal. They were coming through the uh, Indian Reservation through tunnels and boats and wow. crazy stuff. And there were houses that were delivery spots and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And um, that's one scenario. And there was um, there's money laundering aspect and all kinds of stuff. That was a, a federal case. And then we did a case in Ontario County with local guys with grow houses and uh, we're trying to get that expunged but th- that's to the highest level but I think your lower level marijuana cases have a really good chance of getting expungements interesting uh, the, I don't For know sure. if, uh, if you followed it all the, the thing that's kind of interesting to me now is the, the you can give away marijuana you can have marijuana it seems to be legal these people that are running marijuana stores that are selling marijuana and then like, okay, you buy a pack of cigarettes and we'll give you 50 bucks worth of weed. That's, you can't do that. Mm. And, and I mean, anybody, if that's your plan, give me a call. We'll talk about it. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, not we, smart. We've represented, we've represented mm-hmm. a handful of people and you buy a sticker for 100 bucks and we'll give you some weed. Yes. Or you buy a t-shirt for whatever and we'll give you, you just because there's a third Thing in there it doesn't, doesn't mean, mean it's, it's not. Uh, if you're giving the money to get the weed, even right, if there's a right, right, exactly. Yeah, you're still. Yeah, it's just interesting the creative ways that people come up to get away with that. Yeah, that's almost <laughs> honestly not very creative. It's really not. But it's smart. I mean, yeah, to an extent, until you get caught. Well, <laughs> I don't think. It's, I mean, there's got to be better ways. That's pretty. Uh, I think we were. So you make five hundred thousand dollars in three months, and then you spend a hundred grand in legal fees when you get and then, caught, <laughs> right? And and all the money gets seized by the FBI. It's all it's all gone, or the uh, local law enforcement when they take over your store. So, so maybe not. So you're really <laughs> just working for the police. 
Oh. All right. Let's talk about when it does. I gotta go. Oh. You guys can keep going. Uh, okay. Oh, okay, bye. <laughs> I know, I have to go. I, I have a call at 1130. Good luck. Okay, well, that'll just. My last question, which is fine. So, thanks for walking in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of editing on this one. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Um, all right, so my last question was, when does a case go federal? So if you have a misdemeanor mm -hmm. and then it ends up going federal, what are, what are some cases that that might happen in? Um, I think usually child sex crimes. Okay. Um, for example, if there's an allegation and then maybe they do a search warrant on a cell phone or somebody's mm -hmm. house and they find child pornography, mm -hmm. that's a case then you know, can move to the feds. Okay. Um, I think that's a good example. But it could happen, I think that would be probably a good example for a misdemeanor or even felonies, Turning depending on yeah. what the charges are. What about drugs? Yeah, I, drug drugs and guns. Um, is it the amount that makes it go federal or? No, it's, you could have a case be federal and state at the same time. Really? Um, so you could it, be prosecuted by two different entities at the same time for the same yes. crime. Yes, you, you can, but it's very rare that that would happen. Why is that? I think it would just be seen as a waste of resources. I okay. think that's one mm -hmm. concern. Sometimes, you know, one has better sentencing than the other one. Okay. Um, so you would prefer maybe federal sentencing because you can get more, more time. There's also issues with... Um, like, as... Wait, what do you mean? Would prefer more... Sentences? Like, if you're the... If you're the prosecutor, yes. Yes, yes, Because yes. federal sentencing is more strict, correct? It is more strict. So there are guidelines, and a lot of times you can't escape those guidelines. Mm -hmm. Even the judge can't... Right, they're given... Do a, anything yep, about that. Exactly. Okay. They're just given a range, and it is what it is. Okay. Um, another concern could be, um, you know, having... Let's just say there are victims involved. You're not going to want them to testify twice, right? Okay, right. In both cases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so a lot of times um, a case could start at the state level, and then the feds would charge them. And then what you're really doing is dismissing your cases on the state oh. level. So it's okay. not necessarily that, you know, it's not automatic that the state case goes away and then it's just federal now. It's really that the state is saying, Okay, the feds agreed to take this. We're not going to go forward on our case anymore. Okay, that makes sense. And okay. and you're in, I mean, depending on the severity, you're probably like, yeah, go to federal. That way, the guidelines and the sentencing, I feel like, would be harsher, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had cases where you know when I was a prosecutor, where I talked to the feds and they agreed to take it, and I dismissed my charges and let them take it because they had stricter sensing guidelines. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... And in New York now, they also have less strict um, discovery mm. and disclosure obligations on the federal side than the state. There's there's a lot more that could go wrong yeah. with your state case gotcha. the way it is in New York than when your federal case. So basically what you're saying is on a defense case, if a case goes federal, this is not... Not good. It's not as good. It's not as good. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Okay. Um, you have a lot less to work with, I think, yeah. on the defense side. Um, you know, but a, a lot of times, um, 
the feds are doing their own investigations and deciding what cases to pick up mm-hmm. on their side. Um, so obviously, it's not all just cases starting state going federal. Mm-hmm. But I think that you're most likely to see that probably in child abuse cases and um, gun and drug cases. Gotcha. Interesting. I was yeah. always curious. So. That concludes this episode of the King Law Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and check out our socials at King Law Attorneys. And if you've happened to have been injured or charged with a crime, now you know who to call. King Law. Take charge.